following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, what's happening? This is Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig and Ministry. Hey, this is Russ Lyle from Symphony X. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owen. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiskut. Hey, this is Kurt Winston of Down, of Crowbar, and Kingdom of Sorrow. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Hey, this is Chuck Billy. Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Hi, this is Chris Cohen. Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are listening to Mars Attack, so crank it up. Hi, this is the Bill Stata of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Let's do it! Some kneel before an altar, others engage in pagan rituals. Here, we just worship music. Welcome to the Worship Series on Mars Attacks. Here is your host, Victor. Welcome one and all to episode 94 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we start up another series last time around. With episode 93, we started the Decade series. Well, this series is going to be called the Worship Series, where we're going to focus in on a band, a country, in this case, a region of music. And we're just going to focus in on that one topic and basically take it from there. Uh, This first time around, I was lucky enough to speak to Travis Beard, who's putting together a documentary, which is called Martyrs of Metal. You can check out uh, all the information regarding this documentary at tigernestfilms.com. He's also the person that started up the Sound Central Festival in Afghanistan a few years back. And uh, basically, the documentary takes you uh, into a... um, How could I put this? It gives you behind-the-scenes footage of the first Afghan metal band being put together. Uh, Travis will mention this in detail during our interview. Uh, What we're going to do during this episode, however is we are going to focus in on metal from the Middle Eastern region. I tried to put together something with just bands from Afghanistan. Unfortunately, due to everything that's going on in that area of the world, it is impossible to do so. The one band that we are going to focus on is District Unknown, which is the band that is featured in the documentary, so you'll hear tracks from them. You'll also hear tracks from other bands that are from the Middle Eastern region. Unfortunately, the majority of the bands that you know I was able to get a hold of or was able to get a sample of their music, they're either from Israel or Palestine is the other band that we're going to be playing, or band from Palestine, I should say. So uh, we're going to check out some cool music from there from that region uh, before jumping in on the interview. Some people mentioned that with episode 93, that the music was too loud. I do apologize for that. I am switching over. Not only, well, not only did I switch over to a new home, a new studio per se, but we've also switched software. I've been using Sony's Acid Music for years. I've been using that since 95. And I honestly did not want to switch to something else. But what happens is uh, Acid basically doesn't allow you to use very short clips because it gives you a chipmunk effect. And more than one time when I've edited a ID that someone has done for me, I have to go back and make it an elongated version that lasts more than like a minute so that it sounds fine because I have had people complain that, oh, you know, I don't sound that way. I apologize to the damn software for doing that. So we've switched over to Reaper, which is something that's become popular over the last few years. Uh, I apologize if there are any issues with the audio being too loud or not loud enough or, or whatnot. Uh, I'm trying to work on all of that as we go. And hopefully, you know, within the next few shows, we'll have all of that worked out. But it has been uh, pretty fun to work with so far. Um, I didn't want to go the audacity route, 
just because I had paid for Reaper, so <laughs> I know I found out afterwards that a lot of people are just using Audacity, but uh, th this this works for me. So we're going to keep going with that. Um, what else? want to remind you guys to like us on Facebook, tell your friends about us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Google+. A few months back, I switched that up so that it's a very easy link to find. Uh, on Google+, Plus, we are plus Mars Attacks Radio. On Facebook, we are Mars Attacks Radio. And on Twitter, it is Mars Aries 2005. So you have all those great social media links. Also, leave us comments on iTunes. It helps you know, not only for others to listen to the show, but it helps if I ever go out and try to look for, you know, sponsors or anything like that. If they only see that I have, you know, <laughs> the the comments that I do have, they'll laugh at me. So please help a brother out. Uh, what else? We have the donate button for the PayPal account. Uh, you can donate a dollar, you can donate five dollars, you can donate whatever you feel like. No one's holding a gun to your head. Uh, to donate, just go to the link under the support the show portion of the homepage. Right on the right-hand side there, there's a donate button. Also underneath there, there's a link to affiliate stores where if you purchase something from one of these affiliates... What they do is they kick a little back to us. You don't pay anything additional, but we get a finder's fee per se. And the one that really helps us out is Amazon. So if you're going to do any holiday shopping, click through on the Amazon store link there. And you'll help us out greatly. Also, at the bottom of each episode, you'll find that we have links to an Amazon store that we have set up. What I've done is I've set things up. So that you can listen to an episode, click on that link, and then you'll find links to purchase that specific album. Now, what's cool with Amazon is you can purchase the CD, vinyl, or MP3 directly from that link. So they've set it up to make things a hell of a lot easier than you know having to only have one thing. You've gone to Amazon, you realize you know I didn't want the CD, I want the MP3, so I got to search this again. No. You have boxes where you could select from that page and you could choose one of the three options if, if the three options are available. So we are close to the end of the year. So within the next few weeks, we're going to have a list up of, I'm going to try to keep it to top 10, top 20 albums. Last year, between my health and everything else, I started way too late and then I just went crazy with it and listened to something like 300 albums and did like a top whatever it was. I don't even remember. This time I already have like a basic, like almost top 10 that that are going to be there. But there are a few albums that I didn't get to check out yet that I really want to look into. I'll add those. And, you know, I don't know. I look at some of these lists and it's funny because a lot of the people – that are that are submitting their list to sites, it's as if they're more worried about their metal cred than they are whether something's cool or not. You know, I don't give a shit if something is the darkest, most occult thing out there. I'm just going by my own personal, you know, likes or my own personal opinion. All of this is subjective anyway. When you have some some person out there saying, Oh, well, you know, this is the only really good album to come out this year or Hey, man, all the music in 2014 just sucked, dude. I don't believe either of those things because, you know, I think that my my opinion is just that. It's my opinion. Everyone has their own opinion. And, you know, what I say isn't the be-all, end-all of anything. So just, you know, my only reason for putting these lists together is to have people check them out and say, oh, wow, you know, I missed out on this this release, um, let me go out and check it out. And what I'm going to try to do, last year it didn't work for some reason. With Spotify, you're supposed to be able to put a list together of various things. What I may just do 
is just do album by album and copy it onto the page. So we'll see if I can do that because, you know, there aren't, you know, if if I include Taylor Swift on my list, she's not on Spotify anymore. So, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to have to uh, claim my bad on that one. But uh, I don't think you'll find that on there, although I know more than one person that has told me that that album is a good pop album. So we'll see. So if all goes as planned, next week will be the return of the Classic Albums series. The album featured will be Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. It's been long overdue. I haven't done one of these since I think it's March of last year. And I've got a lot of great comments for uh, 36 albums. We've done a bunch of them already. So I want to get a bunch more out there. I'd like to get other artists involved but of course since you know I haven't been around doing as many of these episodes it's going to be sort of an uphill battle to get people interested that said I will do my best and actually pull from other podcasts that that have been helping me out by allowing me to use some comments that artists have used during their interviews and that should help sort of beef the episodes up they are pretty long I'm I'm sort of trying to weigh in whether it makes sense for me to play music during these episodes. I'm not sure that, you know, I I don't know. I don't want to get myself into trouble by putting snippets up of an entire album, which I have done in the past. haven't had any issues so far. But, you know, if I really want to expand what I'm doing, I do have to do some sort of content that doesn't have music in between. You know, in between me rambling here. But uh, I have set something up which I think will be really cool. And if you guys like it or not, you know, just give me your feedback. You can do that on the Facebook or you can send me an email, input at marsattacksradio.com. And let me know whether you like how the new format sounds or not. Uh, Let me know any of your comments. They're more than welcome. I've received more than one message with people telling me that I ramble for too long during the opening portions of the show. It isn't 20 minutes yet, as someone pointed out, that I ramble for 20 minutes, which is cool. Thanks for you know mentioning that. Um, I do like to throw in some banter before jumping into some of the music or the interviews, and that's what I am doing. So, anyway... Let's get into a track by probably the most known band from the Middle Eastern region. Their main songwriter left them this year, so we'll see where the band goes. But this is from Orphan Land. This is coming off of their last release. It is actually the title track of their last album, All Is One. This is the track, All Is One. We are all the sons of 
Orphanland actually toured through Europe with a band from Palestine called Kalas. Now, I was trying to look online to find some sort of download for them or, or something that I could play for you guys. And I was able to get a hold of this track. The name of the track is Amona. It isn't in English. I know some people have issues with that, but being that I live in Spain, for example, and hopefully one of these upcoming episodes of the Warship series will contain hard rock and metal from Spain, you may check out things that are in a different language. Maybe, you know, it works for you. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, but don't pan it just because you don't understand it. Check it out, and if you do like it, you know, support them. If not, drop me a line, let me know what you think. So, uh, here we go, a little class with Amona. <laughs> sounded really cool because I've always been a fan of Led Zeppelin and that whole Middle Eastern, North African type of vibe that they 
you know, include in so many of their great tracks. Uh, so I've always been a fan of that type of music. So to me, that just sounded so cool. Uh, Kalash there. Uh, hearing that mix of heavier, you know, hard rock or metal, if you will, guitars with something that is so Middle Eastern flavored. So I'm sure that there are people that are much more versed in this than I am that can point out bands that are better uh, than this. If you do have any type of bands that you can recommend that do this sort of thing, let me know. Drop me a line. Like I said, you can do it Facebook, Twitter, G+, or even via email. Let's keep things going. Back over the border to Israel. This is a band called Betzifer. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, this is a, a band that's actually on SPV. And like the dope that I am, I had this promo sitting there. And didn't have the chance to check it out. And this is one of the singles that they released late last year, early this year. And the name of the track is The Devil Went to the Holy Land. They remind me a lot of an American band, obviously, uh, once you listen to it. Uh, They remind me of the band Boba Flex. It almost slipped my mind. Uh, there's some really cool music by the band Boba Flex, in my opinion. I really like their earlier albums and actually helped crowdfund one of their more recent albums. And they've always got two, three decent tracks on each album, in my opinion. Uh, so check them out. But uh, back over to our show here. We're worshiping Middle Eastern metal. So hard rock and metal, I should say, because there are going to be people that say, oh, this isn't metal. It's, as Travis puts it in the interview, soft metal. (laughs) I got a kick out of that. Uh, How soft is your metal? Here we go. The Devil Went Down to the Holy Land by Betzifer.
All right, so little Betsifer there, but let's get into the interview with Travis Beard. Let's talk about a little District Unknown, because what we're going to do is we're going to play a track by them, then the interview, and then another track to end the show. Um, Travis did send me a bunch of links. The album by District Unknown is called 24-Hour Lifetime, and you can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it up on iTunes, uh, Google Play. You can find it on Amazon, and you can also find it right there on Spotify. So I'll include links to all of this in the show notes, so if you want to check it out, please do so and help support the band, help support the documentary. Once again, the documentary Martyrs of Metal. You can find more information regarding it at tigernestfilms.com. And let's get into the track that Travis sent me initially. And the name of that track is is two seconds. This is a radio edit because on the actual album, it lasts around 10 minutes if I'm not mistaken. So let's get into a little two seconds. We'll do the interview and then we'll exit the interview and show with the track Struggle by District Unknown. Uh, so this is the last you're going to hear me from this episode. Just want to thank you guys for checking this out. And thanks for, for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And we will continue to try to put these episodes up as, as frequently as we possibly can. Life permitting. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, Little District Unknown here with two seconds. Thank you. 
So tell me about the the documentary that you're putting together. Um, it's based on metal in Afghanistan, or is it broader than that? Well, I mean, it, it all it all started from uh, the the music scene itself, um, which. You know, I can go into details about how that started, but we kind of started just filming, or I started filming the music scene because I just thought it was something interesting. And besides the expat sort of community in Kabul that was playing, all of a sudden some Afghan bands popped up. And the first band that popped up was actually an indie rock band. And I'm not a big fan of indie rock at all, but, you know, they were the first band in town, so we supported them. And, you know, put them on stage, gave them amplifiers, and, you know, mentored them a fair bit. Um... And then in our second year, these, these guys came together uh, who are now District Unknown. And they were just four young lads who were into metal. Um, and they wanted to start a band. But they didn't know how. They literally didn't know what you know, sort of the first steps were. So we put them in a studio, gave us some amplifiers, and, um, and you know, just let them go for it. And for the first six months, it was just horrific. I mean, it was in my house. So I got to hear them on a regular basis how bad they were. Um, but I purposely left them alone, <laughs> just let them, you know, smash it out. And then after about six months, we started to sort of, you know, step in and give them some mentoring. And obviously, we just kept filming. And from this uh, sort of seed, we realized that there was a story there. And there was obviously some interesting characters. And as the scene grew, they grew to the point where they became sort of almost the most popular band by crowd not by, you know, TV stats or online stats, but by crowd audience uh, reaction, they were the most popular band in the country. And we were lucky enough just to keep filming that progress uh, through maybe the four or five years of their, uh, you know, their existence. And how did you end up in Afghanistan? Uh, I was a journalist and I was uh, first there in 2001. Um, as the Americans were liberating the North, I came in from the West through Iran and was reporting on the area um, and then moved back there permanently in 2006. And I honestly, I went there to do uh, journalism and that was my focus. And I'd stopped playing music myself at the, at the time because I was into my uh, photography. And then I just met some musicians and, you know, that all sort of clicked and I got back into my music and we started playing and then we formed a band and then we started doing gigs and then the whole scene started to take off like I mentioned before and before I knew it I was uh, running the music scene in Kabul which is something I never imagined in such a country but just kind of that's the way it evolved. How did it or how long did it take from 01 for this to actually take place for the music scene to actually sprout up and take off? Well I mean we started uh, playing in 2007 and there was one band in town. It was my band, actually, White City. And they used to just used to play at, uh, you know, expat parties and embassies and, you know, closed compound sort of, uh, you know, events. And then about 2009, the first Afghan band popped up. We did a battle of bands night in 2010. And we had about five uh, different bands on the stage. You know, and one band won the award. And people just said to me straight away, you know, what's next? We love this. This is great. And I said, well, let's do a festival. And then it took another two years. So by the end of 2011, we actually got the funding together to uh, put on the first Sound Central Festival. And then it just grew from there. It just kept going up and up. So I guess it was like 2007 to 2013. So it was a good six-year uh, sort of evolution. Um, and it literally just kept growing every year. And it was a bit like a snowball effect. It just got bigger each year. It didn't sort of grow, uh, you know, incrementally. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until uh, it kind of imploded in a certain sense. And now it's gone sort of back a bit. And and the festival was all done by Afghan bands. Did you bring anyone from the outside in? No, we, we did bring people from the outside. We always wanted to have a, a focus on the Afghan uh, local community. So... It was always a majority of Afghan bands, and then we would bring in, I think the first year we had two international bands, one from Kazakhstan and one from uh, Uzbekistan. The next year we had a metal band from Sri Lanka and some uh, musicians from France and Australia. And in the third year we had uh, more musicians from Uzbekistan, from Australia, from the US, uh, from Britain. So it was always uh, trying to have an international presence for the main fact of showing the Afghans what can be done. 
um, because it's, it's great, you know, to put them on stage and to expose them to the dynamics of performance, live performance. But it's also very effective to have them watch, you know, a semi-professional or a professional actual perform, and they can learn a lot from from that observation. So it was kind of a mixture of the two. I mean, the biggest challenge always was convincing bands to come to Afghanistan. We actually had, you know, some some reasonably big uh, acts get very close to coming, and uh, you know. It was just one of those things where either their mothers or their um, their girlfriends <laughs> or their sisters or their you know their fam- fa- uh, fellow bandmates would just be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I can't do it, man. And they'd wimp out last minute, and we lost bands on the eleventh hour that way, <laughs> and it was quite heartbreaking. But I mean, that's kind of the 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 challenges you have with doing a, a festival in in such an environment. How much is uh, safety a concern when putting these festivals together? I mean, it's always one of our major uh, concerns. Uh, in our first year, uh, Rolling Stone coined uh, our festival a stealth festival. And it was quite a good analogy because the idea was that we would um, we would promote the festival on television but we wouldn't uh, and radio, but we wouldn't actually uh, give out the location or the day until the final hour. So... Everyone knew there was a festival coming up, but no one knew where it was and when it was. And then the day before the festival, we announced the date. And the day of the festival, we actually announced uh, the location. So it meant that, uh, you know, uh, elements in society that might want to disrupt our our event didn't have much time to plan. And mm-hmm. so that was the first year. And then the second year, we had obviously more support and more confidence as well. So we were a bit more uh, open to our promotions and we sort of started giving out the date earlier, but not the location, and we sort of mix it up. Um, but it was always a, a, something that we had to keep in mind, and obviously security has start, started to uh, deteriorate year upon year since 2008. Um, so we had to beef up our security and change our location regularly so that we weren't always in the same place and just keep on the move so that uh, people had to sort of, you know, keep up with us in a sense so yeah it was always a, a, a fluid kind of environment in that way so in other words metal would be seen as i guess anti what some of these um extremists that are in the region are, are trying to preach it would go against anything that they're trying to push forward with their agenda I mean, I think all music, which is not uh, religious, is, is seen as anti-religious in, 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 the, in the conservative element's eyes. There is, uh, there is definitely a correlation between metal and satanic, Satanism. Um, sure. So it's definitely there. But I think that uh, in sort of you know, rural Afghan slash Taliban communities, they just don't have that kind of uh, level of knowledge about subgenres of music. I mean, the classic thing in Afghanistan is up until uh, the American um, uh, occupation or, or invasion or liberation of Afghanistan, uh, the, the Afghans used to always refer to anything that wasn't traditional music as jazz. And they actually say the word jazz uh, in their language for anything that's not uh, from Afghanistan. So. That can be rock music, jazz music, hip-hop, anything, because they just had one common word for it. So a lot of the time they don't really understand the differences. But we did have some journalists sort of point out that, you know, there was this metal band and they were using the horn symbol with their hands. And, you know, there was a little bit of controversy involved. But I think a lot of the uh, conservative elements out there don't really understand the difference between metal and rock or metal and hip-hop. They just think it's all foreign and obviously all a threat to their... uh, you know, their own beliefs. How much has that evolved in the time that you guys have been doing the, the festival and and since the music scene has been expanding? Well, I mean, yeah, I think it definitely has evolved. Um, we've obviously seen more bands uh, sort of come out of the woodwork. We've seen more genres pop up, everything from grunge to metal to noise to experimental to obviously hip hop, rap, um, all these different subgenres coming out. Whereas in the first couple of years, there was literally just rock. Um, so that's definitely developed. I don't really know what the uh, the uh, sort of conservative uh, community in Afghanistan thinks about these these different subgenres, and I'm not sure they're even aware 
They just see it on television because the, the thing is now that uh, some of the musicians have actually um, acquired, you know, some status publicly, and they've, you know, they've done TV appearances, they've been on different shows, they've been used for advertising campaigns. So there's obviously a, a profile with this kind of small rock or or musical community, but I'm not sure that the the people out there who don't like it actually know the difference between the one or the other. Gotcha. Okay. And where do you see the actual music within Afghanistan moving forward? Is that something that you guys cover in the documentary? Um, is that something that you think that you can look, you know, five, ten years in the future and more or less think where things are going are gonna to go? Or is that still sort of up in the air? Well, I mean, we definitely do cover this in the documentary. And it's kind of how we end the documentary. Um, but it's one of those questions, the million-dollar question, which is very difficult to answer, and it kind of correlates very much along with the Western withdrawal in Afghanistan, the, the Western troop withdrawal over the next couple of years. Uh, what we've seen is as the West moves out and the funds are starting to dry up for any type of development in the country, what you see is a vacuum uh, occurrence with the, the sort of brain drain of the, of the smart, young intellect, you know, outgoing and, you know, entrepreneurial people that uh, are, the, are the future leaders of the country, a lot of them are leaving. And they're, you know, they're going to the States to get their education or they're going to Europe because they can see that, you know, the writing on the wall is that things aren't looking good for the future. And we've seen the same thing happen in the music community. We had one band, uh, Carbal Dreams, who left to the US for a tour and never came back. Another band, um, White Page went to Switzerland for a tour and never came back. And two members of the band that I documented, District Unknown, have gone back to America. Um, so mm -hmm. we've seen this uh, sort of vacuum occurrence. And so therefore, the scene has, has shrunken. It's gone it hit a peak in 2012, 2013, and now it's kind of reclining. And there are still some uh, younger bands who are, who are trying to uh, you know, keep the, the scene alive, but... There's just not as many bands, and the more experienced bands have left. So, those mentors or those you know um, those peers that you look up to aren't on the same stage next to you anymore, which makes it quite difficult. The hip hop scene obviously has survived better because hip hop needs a lot less support than the rock slash metal uh, ensemble because you don't need as much equipment on stage, a microphone and a backing track, and you're ready to go. Whereas with the rock or the the band format, you need so much more. A support mechanism uh, and that's difficult because you know without the internationals there to help you set up your stage a lot of time it's quite difficult to know how to make a good sound so it's quite a hard one to answer in regards to what will the future of the music scene be but I think like any music scene anywhere in the world that's developed uh, they do survive they do uh, you know strive to you know to continue against any, any, any odds that come up to them. So I think the scene will survive. It might go into a couple of dark years, but once the security of the country does, um, does get back on its feet and, and Afghanistan starts to look after itself without so much Western support, the bands will come back. And I don't mean the bands who've gone to the West, but the scene will come back because the fact is, you know, the youth of Afghanistan are like any youth in the world. They find rock through their own um, devices. They find, uh, you know, metal music through their own devices, and then they want to explore that, and that's how all these scenes, uh, you know, start and then evolve. So, I, I, I see a couple of dark years ahead, where there won't be a lot of progress, a, pro a lot of, um, you know, uh, activity. But I think in the long term, it will survive. Okay, and as far as the the documentary is concerned, when did you start putting this together? Uh, well, I mean, we started filming, you know, we started filming, we were quite lucky, we filmed, we filmed the band from their first day, their first day in the, in the, in, in the studio, up until the day they, they left for America, and we continued even afterwards when there was members left behind, um, and that was all great, we, we filmed everything, and we documented it, and we were quite happy with, you know, what we got, but, uh, the problem was that I was, I was part of that whole, uh, equation. I, I mentored the band, I provided the band with equipment, I put the band on stage, I managed the band, I took them on tour to India 
and I was too much a part of the, the whole story. So it's taken us time to find someone to work with us to sort of to un, untangle all the threads and, and, and find the actual real thread of this story and what it's about. And that's what we're doing now. We're, we're, we're sort of taking this big uh, ball of, of, of string and trying to figure out where it starts and where it ends. And that's quite an interesting creative process because uh, it's a big story and obviously you can only squeeze so much into 90 minutes. So we're trying to do our best to, to show the audience that, you know, in Afghanistan, the kids there, the teenagers there, are just like teenagers anywhere else in the world. Um, and they, they, they want to they wanna show that to the West, that, you know, we can rock out like anyone else. We can have the same, you know, challenges as a teenager like anyone else. And all we want to do is, is play music, which is a, is a simple request that I think any teenager should be allowed to do. When do you foresee the documentary being released? So we have a deadline for the 1st of August. We've been uh, shortlisted for IDFA, which is a festival in, um, in Holland. So our deadline is the 1st of August. We'll be screening in, in Holland in November. And I guess the film will go into the public sphere in, in the start of 2015. Gotcha. And as far as funding is concerned for the documentary, have you had to do any sort of um, crowdfunding? Is this funded by yourself and someone else? Uh, how, how were you able to put everything together? I mean, at the start, we were very lucky that the, uh, the U.S. Embassy funded our, our production um, but post-production, we've we've had to struggle quite a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of it myself. Um, we did a crowdfunding campaign for the festival itself back in 2012, and it, it was very successful. But I mean, I find crowdfunding a very hard uh, campaign to run. And frankly, I I don't see myself as someone who wants to put my hand out twice to the same group of friends saying, "Pay for another one of my wacky uh, projects." But right. we've had some good support from the metal community, and we have several quite big name bands that have shown interest in, in investing in this project. I'd love to share the names of the bands with you at the moment, but I can't because we're still in negotiation. But one band from Sweden and one band from America, which are very famous, and they've, they've shown support, so we're hoping that they will help us fund the finishing of the film. Um, and beyond that, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot more that can be raised, but uh, I mean, yeah, if every metalhead in the world put one dollar together, we could probably uh, do this film twice over, but, um, you know, that's another whole uh, kettle of fish. Right. And what do you have planned beyond this documentary? You mentioned that you're moving back uh, to the Middle East shortly. Um, are you going to continue to be involved in the music industry in some extent, or... Are you just looking to push the, the documentary after it's released and you're going to go off in another direction? Well, no, I mean, the documentary is obviously uh, shows our, our work in Afghanistan. Uh, we will continue to try and keep the, the festival alive in Afghanistan through using a, a local Afghan partner, an Afghan that you know can take on the, the, the baton, in, in a sense, and run with it. And over two or three years, we can... We can guide them, and hopefully, within you know two or three years, they can actually do the festival by themselves. Beyond that, I've moved to the Middle East um, because I'm interested in the region, and I think we can do we can do very similar projects, and we can implement very uh, effective campaigns like we have done in Afghanistan with the same target group in the Middle East. I mean, we have Syria, we have Iraq, we have e Egypt, we have. You know, all of North Africa with with a, with the same kind of demographics of teenagers who want to rock out, but a lot of time they don't have the platform, and that's what we specialize in, is providing that platform. And you know, they can say whatever they want on on the on the microphone or on stage. All we do is give them that opportunity to do uh, to do that, and obviously, you know, in in the most rocking way possible. So we're hoping to take that template first to Lebanon and then to the region, and. Uh, you know, maybe there's more documentaries in the future as, as well as festivals. You're originally from where? I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Obviously, a very okay. musical uh, city. And I think that influenced me a lot in regards to, you know, the, the ingenuity of, of starting up a scene in such a place. Because I was spoiled as a teenager. I had bands left, right and center to go and view, see and, and enjoy. And coming to a, a, a place like Afghanistan, a desert in comparison... 
Um, I just wanted the youth to experience what I did as a teenager and be able to enjoy banging their heads, um, you know, stage diving and just, in, you know, enjoy the music itself because it's such an innocent but pleasurable experience. Now, for someone from from the States, for example, who only knows Australia as being ACDC, maybe in later years, Airborne, yeah. in excess, maybe if you're somewhere around my age group, yeah. um, what are some of the other bands that you grew up listening to that maybe people from the States aren't aware of? Wow, I mean, I haven't lived there for 15 years, so you're really stretching my my, well, my memory. When, but what, when you were a teenager, what what did you listen to that was Australian-based? Uh, as a teenager, I mean, there was great bands like uh, Spiderbait. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. It was kind of uh, more punk-esque than, than metal. Um, in regards to the metal scene, there was a band called... Oh, fuck, I remember the name. Blood something. <laughs> Uh, let me think, let me think, Blood Sport or something like that, that was a really great metal band from Melbourne, um, I don't know, I have to think about that, I'll come back to me after another question and I'll see where, where else I can remember. <laughs> the only other band that I can remember offhand, and because I saw them opening up for ACDC actually, yeah. and because they're, I think their drummer is... Um, Angus Young's uh, nephew or something like that was a band called The Poor, which had one hit in the States, and that was it. And most people, I think, um, around my age group probably won't even remember them because they had it was one of the you know one of those bands that had that one quick opening of the door with one single that got played on rock radio, and that was about it. And I'm sure there are fans out there. Yeah. Well, they kind of soft metal. In a way, what's that? They're kind of like soft metal or hard rock. Yeah, they were more of a hard rock band, I would say. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think Australia has the greatest um, metal uh, scene in the world. I think they have other music genres which they're 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 stronger in, and I think that has a lot to do with you know the lifestyle, the the environment, and where they are. I'm not saying there isn't a metal scene there, but I don't think it's as strong as some of the metal scenes. I've seen in other parts of the world. The most interesting thing that I've experienced in, in the touring I've done with my band is that the most uh, vibrant and um, you know kind of uh, reactionary metal crowds are usually in the country which is the most fucked up or the most right. uh, closed off from society or the most oppressed by their own governments. That's where I've really seen amazing you know crowds that are, are really metal heads you know to the to the heart and, and to their soul. And I think that's quite reflective of, of metal itself. It is that flag or that beacon out in the deep blue ocean that uh, people can, you know, can cling on to when they're lost in, in these kind of environments. Whereas, I mean, in Australia, it's quite a bit of a paradise in a certain way. So that they don't sort of need metal as much to survive, I guess. So they can get by on, on Kylie and Danny Minogue, you're saying. Exactly. I don't know, man. It's been a long time since I lived there. So there's probably some metalheads in Australia going, fuck you, man. We've got our scene, man. I'm like, well, you know, whatever. Good luck to you. <laughs> oh, man. Have you ever seen an instance where a local authority has wanted to get involved in Afghanistan, going back to Afghanistan, um, wanting to get involved and maybe shut one of these shows down or one of these bands down. Yeah, I mean, we actually had it in 2013. We did the festival. It was really successful. And one of the local bands, Morcha, um, who's kind of like a rock band, they just, just decided to do it on the concert the next week. Obviously, they had the, the energy from the festival and they were quite inspired. So they went down to a local cafe, you know, like an Afghan cafe, and set up a little stage outside the cafe, actually on the street. And, you know, they had themselves play and a, and a couple other musicians sort of get up there and they did, you know, I think about a half an hour concert. And halfway through, the police just came down, tore the instruments away from them and actually arrested them. And they only held them for probably an hour because there actually was nothing that they could charge them with because they hadn't actually committed a crime. And Afghanistan's not like Iran. It's not actually against the law to play in Western music. You can't be jailed for it. But they did get stopped. And then there was a lot of sort of bad press about, you know, the youth and, 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 and what they were doing with their time activity-wise. But it blew over very quickly. 
and everyone got back to you know making music. So I think it was you know a bit of a, a storm and a teacup kind of thing. But I mean you've got to you've got to uh, um, you've got to organize your events and your um, and your uh, you know your program with the cultural sensitivities in, in, in hindsight. And you, you, you can't deny that. If you do that, you will get shut down or you might even get an attack from someone with a suicide vest or something quite crazy like that. So if you don't do that, you're quite stupid. So I think it's great that the Afghan bands are taking this initiative and trying to do their own gigs, but they need to learn how to do it properly. And that's obviously going to happen through trial and error. Gotcha. If anyone wants to... Stay informed of the documentary, and we actually, what's the name of the documentary? So the, 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 sorry, so the documentary is called Martyrs of Metal. Okay, um, and you can see that on our website, Tiger Nest Films, Tiger Nest Films, um, or you just you know Google Sound Central Festival. I mean, we've had so much press over the years that it comes up at the top of Google, so it's very easy to find. So you'll be able to. Find us there and follow us there, and hopefully we'll be able to show the rest of the world some normal, crazy kids from Afghanistan who are into metal next year. I'm gonna 
for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.